This is what we do. A show about how we, you and me, can have a positive impact on the world, live with integrity and embrace the complex questions of our time without losing neither ourselves, our minds, nor our hope in the process. My name is Lucy Kamara and I'm your host. Let's begin. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of What We Do. I'm your host, Lucy Kamara, and I'm so glad you decided to tune into this podcast. I have been floating on a sort of cloud since I launched this podcast last week. Um, it's been so amazing to hear all the great feedback that you guys had for me um, after episode zero and episode one. I really appreciate the time you took to listen and then for so many of you to reach out. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, um, that's okay. You can also start today. But um, yeah, I would love if you could give it a give it a try. Um, I talked to Wasu Shehu last week and we talked about fashion and starting a business and following your passion and, and having a sustainable project, not for the sake of sustainability, but just because you love what you do, because you have a passion and you want to be able to to share it with the world. That is actually what sustainability is about. It's about protecting what needs protecting, what is worth protecting, and be connected to um, the world around us and our communities. If you would like to hear more about Washu and his work, you can find him on Instagram at Washu Shehu. It's W A X. I-U-S-H-E-H-U. His store is called Studio 234 Plus. It's at Studio, S-T-U-D-I-O, 234, the numbers 234 and the plus sign. Studio 234 Plus. And of course, you can find all these links and more in today's show notes. This week, I'm talking to Cosima Richardson. I met Cosima while we were both working for the Swedish oatmeal company Oatly. Cosima is based in Berlin, Germany, and she has now moved on from Oatly to start her own company. Kind Hair is about to launch one of the first plant-based biodegradable hair extension range available on the market. With Cosima, I talk about how hair extension and hair care in the black community is essential and has been using toxic plastic and products forever and that the industry is only now opening to these problems and problematics. We talk about her childhood in Berlin being from a biracial household. We talk about the feeling of being different and how she found strength in it. We talked about the importance of support and community in business ventures, but also in general and more. So please listen to this conversation and let me know what you think. You can find me on social media, Instagram mostly, at Lucy Out There, L-U-C-I-E-O-U-T-T-H-E-R-E. And you can find the podcast at What We Do Pod. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I'll see you guys in two weeks. My name is Cosima. I'm 30 years old and I am the founder of Kind Hair. I founded Kind Hair, well, actually, I started two and a half years ago, but just founded my company this year. And what I'm doing is that I'm creating plant-based biodegradable hair extensions specifically for the needs of the Black community. I think maybe it's best for me to start with my interest in hair. 
<laughs> because that's a very significant part of this project. So my dad is is black. He's from Nigeria um, and came to Berlin because he was a professional boxer, actually. And my mom is white. Um, so she's from Germany, grew up in Germany. Um, and I was born in 1992 <laughs> in Cologne. Um, and my parents got divorced when I was about five years old. And after that, my dad moved to a different city and I grew up with my mom, which was amazing because I love my mom. She's the most amazing person. Um, but she had no idea how to deal with my hair. So um, what ended up happening was that, um, yeah, every every once in a while, she attempted to comb my hair, <laughs> which for me was super painful. Um, and what was what was good about it was that at least I got to watch TV during that time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really hated those days when she had to comb through my hair. So um, my hair was always a very big issue for me, I would say. Um, and then at one point, my parents took me to a braider for the first time who braided synthetic hair <laughs> onto my head. How old were you then? I was five. Mm. Do you and remember? Yeah, I have pictures. I, I definitely remember. Yeah, I think that's honestly, that sounds cheesy, but I think it's one of my first memories actually <laughs> from my childhood <laughs> because I, I so remember how much I loved having long hair for the very first time. And then that at that point, I always um, said to my to my mom or to my grandma that I, I wanted to have spaghetti hair like they did. <laughs> and that was for the first time me having spaghetti hair, which I mean, is, of course, also problematic in some sense that I that I was so content having these hair. Um, but yeah, that that was um, my first encounter with synthetic hair. I just reacted to um you say using the word problematic when you talk about your feeling as a child like I, I think it's mostly understandable maybe the problematic part we could we could see as why you know the the standards of beauty and all of that but you know it's totally understandable as a as a child like I remember I wanted to have like um I wanted to have a ponytail that looked like a real ponytail you know and that could just like <laughs> yes. move around when you run and when you jump yeah. and stuff and like <laughs> yes it's very relatable and, mm. and and I hope you don't you don't beat yourself up for that feeling oh no 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 I don't I mean you're totally right I think um I totally get it now and I mean I would say I'm not completely free of that I mean I, I grew up with that beauty ideal or the wide beauty standards I would say so that's none still of us is free of very that. yeah exactly none of us is free of that yeah anyways so I had braids for the first time I loved it um, I very distinctly remember standing in my room in front of the mirror dancing swinging my hair <laughs> um but then I never, of course, I mean, I was five years old, so I would obviously never have questioned at this point what this hair is actually made of. And now maybe to come back to your the whole topic of sustainability, when did that start? So I would say that really started with my love for animals. <laughs> so my entry into the whole topic of sustainability was veganism. Um, and I remember, I think that was back in 2011, that my best friend told me she was going to eat vegan. And at this point, I had never heard of veganism. I was like, what? Why would you do that? And I thought she was crazy. <laughs> but then I took an interest in it and I, I did some research um, and it all seemed super logical to me, actually. So I, I started eating vegan um, at that point, I was very strictly vegan. Now, I would say I eat maybe 95% of the time I eat vegan. So I eat vegan at home. But whenever, you know, I travel and there is no vegan food available, then I also eat different things. But yeah, so that was uh, when I when I started to be interested in sustainability and started um, to inform myself more and more about um, livestock and the whole topic of emissions that come with that and everything. And I 
started to really um yeah become so passionate about it that I decided to make that my job so when I wrote my master's thesis I actually wrote about cultured meat which you may have heard of um cultured meat is basically you grow meat in a lab so you take stem cells from a cow for example and you use that cell to grow meat out of it um which i mean yeah i think it's a great it's a great idea <laughs> it has its problems as well and they're working on it to to make it um scalable in a way because at this point it's still very expensive um, but yeah, I started writing about that. And then I, after I finished my thesis, I started working at Vegans, which is a German um, vegan food uh, brand. They're actually, I think, the largest, uh, not the largest food brand, but they have the, the most the most wide offer when it comes to vegan foods. Um, and then afterwards, I ended up at Oatly, <laughs> which is how we met, um, worked at Oatly for two and a half years. And yeah, so food was my entry to sustainability. And I think at some point during my work for Oatly or even earlier, I had that very strong urge to do a project of my own, to start my own business, to work more flexibly and really do something that remains in a way. And so that's how the, these two topics were combined, I would say. My my yeah, love and hate relationship, I have to say, with hair. <laughs> but then also my very big passion for sustainability because I started questioning what those hair uh, were actually made of. And I did some research and found out that it's made of plastic, which of course I had always known, but it's actually mostly made out of acrylic and also PVC, apparently also nylon, polyester. Um, I mean, there's a very wide variety of synthetic hair. So it's hard to say what each of those brands are actually made of, but um, acrylic, I think is used the most often and acrylic is one of the most harmful polymers for our environment synthetic hair is very hard to recycle which leads to millions of kilograms of plastic waste each year which could be avoided um, and then also those types of plastic contain toxic sometimes even cancer-causing ingredients. And that's what led me to start Kind Hair and, yeah, wanting to come up with a new solution. I don't know much about hair extension other than, I mean, being black and being around the conversation but it hasn't been a big part of my uh, experience but I when I think about hair extension I think about yeah the the plastic uh, side but also human hair as well do you have any uh, experience with that knowledge of that and the the intricacies of that side of the, the industry yeah very good points um so human hair is also, of course, a gigantic market. There are so many women, not just black women, also lots of white women that wear um, real human hair extensions. I did too at some point. I mean, I think I probably tried everything when it comes to extensions. Um, and human hair, I mean, is mostly donated. So a lot of women in India donate their hair as an act of religious belief and that hair is then sold but there are also so many problematic things about this industry I mean I've read about women having their hair stolen uh, when they sleep or when they go to the movies or you know just being basically forced to sell your hair because there is no other 
opportunity of, of income. So um, yeah, human hair is also a huge market. The reason I've started to focus on synthetic hair is just because it's so much easier to replace in the first step. So a lot of women that wear human hair wear them as wigs or, you know, any, any type where you wear your hair open, um, whereas synthetic hair is very often worn as braids, for example, which are braided. <laughs> and that just makes it a lot easier to create the hair um, to, to match that quality that's needed for hair braiding. I wanted to ask you about the word sustainability and what it means to you and if it has evolved and like your first encounter with with the idea being kind of beyond preserving animals and protecting animals uh, and if that has changed through through the years and through your experiences yeah very good question my definition of sustainability I think I, I really like that idea of behaving or acting in a way to leave this earth as a livable place for future generations I think that's that's a great definition and with that being said I think that a lot of people when they hear the word sustainability mostly think of our environment I think and mostly think of you know restricting yourself and not being able to do this or that whereas I think it's so much wider so one thing that I have been looking into a lot with kind hair is the whole topic of health, which is also related to sustainability, of course. And what was super shocking, actually, to me is how toxic synthetic hair is, first of all. But then also, I dug deeper into that whole topic and found out that cosmetics and beauty products that are targeted towards Black women or women of color in general contain many more toxins or higher concentrations of toxins than beauty products that are yeah, made for the general market. So that was super shocking to me. And then with that, Black women also suffer a lot more from hormone-related diseases so, for example, uterine fibroids, I think Black women suffer from that twice as often as white women, for example, but also cervical cancer, early onset of puberty, all these things. Um, the stretch at first seems very far between like beauty products and these diseases. But when you look at studies, there are lots of studies that show that Black women also have higher concentrations of exactly those toxins that we find in cosmetics in their blood. So there's a study, for example, that compares, I think, um, black hairdressers with wh white hairdressers. And what they found was that those black women, probably mostly women, that they, um, yeah, just had much higher concentrations of toxins in their blood. That is, I think, also a very important point when it comes to sustainability is that you know, to sustain yourself, to sustain future generations, that um, all these types of environmental toxins are super dangerous and something we have to look into more closely. Because as of now, I think no one really knows what that means and how it affects us. And it's super hard to prove any type of causality between, you know, beauty products and Black women suffering more from hormone-related diseases. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that I find super interesting and that I would love to look into more. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the core of, you know, intersectional sustainability, as you say, health and toxicity and what we put in our body and what we put because we are the environment. So what we put in our body mm -hmm. comes back out and what are the studies that are being funded and who is looking into what and through what angle that has a massive impact. Yeah. The studies you've found, can you talk a little bit about how you found them and is it global? Is it in Germany? Is it US-based? Yeah, I think the problem with research on these topics is that you, you have to have, that sounds weird, but you have to have some kind of critical mass, I guess. And in Germany, we have a 1 million people estimatedly are Black, which is 
like one in 80 people, which is not a lot, unfortunately. So for Germany or for German universities or whatever to do research on that, um, I think that just happens way too little because it's just not enough people. So most studies that I found are from the U.S., actually. Yeah. And I definitely grew up in a very wide space. <laughs> yeah, in a very wide area. I think in my primary school, I mean, there were a few Black kids, maybe like four, I would say, four or five. And then it was the same um, in my uh, high school. So I didn't really have anyone. I mean, yeah, I had a few people to share that experience with. But to be honest, growing up, I didn't really, how do I say this? I think growing up, I didn't think about being Black as much as just being different in general. So looking back, I think that was obviously was a very strong um, or probably maybe even the main point. But to me was just, I mean, I, I very strongly had this feeling of being different, of not fitting in and um, yeah, just wanting to adapt as much as possible to to everything, <laughs> to everyone. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience of difference? Like if it wasn't through a racial perspective, what was it? And did you ever find community? I think one big thing was that my mom was actually a Buddhist. <laughs> so she used to be a Christian, but then she converted to Buddhism at some point. Then after divorcing my dad, she started uh, living with a woman, which they're still together. And I'm so happy that they're still together because I, I love um, that woman that she's with and they're even married now. Um, but I think for me, that was two big things that, I, I, that made me feel very different in a way and that I wanted to hide um, in some way from others, which today honestly makes me super sad because I think it's so amazing <laughs> that I grew up with Buddhism and, and that my mom was just in such a, an amazing, healthy, supportive relationship. But yeah, I think that's what my, my feelings of being different evolved around a lot when I was in school. Growing up in Berlin, I think I was super lucky because, I mean, yeah, it's just different than growing up in a small town, you know, being black. Of course, it was a topic for me, especially like with my hair and, and never really feeling like I fit in and I wasn't, I don't know, beautiful enough or whatever, but I didn't think about that too consciously until I would say a few years ago um, was when I really started looking more into racism and, and understanding that whole topic more from a broader perspective and also reading books about it and um, yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing and I hope your mom will hear this conversation because you know like yeah being different and having different uh upbringing than the the majority around you like that's never easy and you know the fact that you are talking about it today and that you're comfortable like talking about it to me and on the podcast I think that's very strong and brave and and beautiful and the way you describe that relationship also it's kind of like Yes, um, it's it's really great to hear and important. I think you can be proud of yourself for that. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm projecting there, but like, you know, seeing your mother seeking a life that makes sense to her, you know, mm. uh, because she started as a Christian and a heterosexual relationship and then moved on to uh, spirituality that made more sense to her, a relationship that made more sense to her. And you having this sense of individuality and, and maybe aloneness in some experience, can you identify how that 
influences how you live your life today and the work you seek and, and what you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Do you mean if, you know, my mom evolving into a life that she really wanted or as you said so beautifully that really makes sense to her do you mean how that influenced my path how you can trace that that kind of individuality and this strength and power um yeah I mean I definitely think that that's probably true for a lot of people that you just want to adapt a lot when you're young and you feel like you want to fit in and you're super afraid of sticking out and doing your own thing. And I think that's still true to me. I mean, I, I find it very challenging to build this company all by myself um, and to, yeah, just um, have the courage to, you know, not have a nine to five job and, Go, yeah climb up the career ladder in a way but to really step out and just dare to do something completely different which I have no idea if it's going to work out at this point I'm still I mean at the very beginning but yeah as you said with my mom this is definitely making sense of my life <laughs> so I've always had the desire to to do my own thing to to build something of my own and I think working in my previous jobs I learned so much but I never really had this feeling of this is my full potential so it was always in a way I felt always very limited with the tasks that I was was given or with the freedom that I had um, even though I was given a lot of freedom, especially <laughs> at Oatly. And I loved that job also. That's not to say, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm super grateful for um, having worked there. But still, I, I always felt like there, there has to be more. <laughs> In the beginning, I actually wanted to do that with a friend of mine. Um, and we started working on it together. But then at some point, um he was like, oh, I don't know if the market is ready. And I don't know, maybe it's going to be too hard to figure out all the details and the materials. And so we we actually, I think for like two weeks, I stopped working on it. And I was like, okay, he's probably right. It's too early. I'm not going to make it. What does too early mean and the market not being ready? So he's he's also black and he so what we did in the beginning is we did some interviews. I think we each interviewed like five people just to get a general feeling of does our target audience actually understand the value of this product or I mean, it wasn't a product at this point, but just the value of disrupting that industry in a way. Um, and I think. As with any idea, he had he had some interviews where he felt like oh, people would really only buy that if it's exactly the same as synthetic hair. I mean, like functionality wise, and it can't be too expensive. People are not going to spend more on that than they would on regular synthetic hair. And he just felt like, yeah, in a way it was too early to to start this because maybe the topic of sustainability hasn't progressed far enough for people to actually see that this is important even in Berlin even in Berlin I know <laughs> so he was super unsure if if we should you know move forward um and then we said okay then let's just pause and then after two weeks I was like okay now I'm wondering if it's too early and if people are actually going to buy this, why don't I just do a survey and ask people? So I did a survey and I was super lucky that some people were very helpful and shared that survey in, in groups with um, black women or black people in general. And um, so I think I got about 220 responses which, um, yeah, I mean, is not representative, obviously, but it still gave me a very good idea of what people think about this idea. And what I found out was that actually 66% of the people I asked had never heard 
off the harmful toxins in plastic synthetic hair and had no idea that this is such a bad product. <laughs> um, so that was super insightful. And then I asked people with that knowledge, would you be willing to buy a plant-based alternative? And over 90% said yes. And that really took my fear of the market not being ready. So I definitely saw that, yes, people understand the need. Um, they see the value in this. Um, and so, yeah, I took a pause for two weeks, but then I never paused again. And so I think that was, as I said, two and a half years ago. And I've been working on this project pretty much every single day ever since. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's a big challenge and also very uncomfortable sometimes to not know what's going to happen tomorrow or in a month or in a year. <laughs> um, it's really this stepping into the unknown. Um, but that just feels so much truer to who I am and what I really want to be, even though I'm scared of it sometimes. I mean, I am alone working on this specific project, but I'm obviously not alone. And this is also something that I've learned over the past weeks and months is that it's so incredibly important to have a community and to just have a network of people who are going through the same thing and who can relate and who have the same challenges. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I'm a part of Founderland, which is an amazing community for women of color founders. They are, I think, the fastest growing um, women of color founder community in the world. At least that's what they say. <laughs> Where are they based? In, they're based in Berlin. All right. So, yeah. Um, and I took part in their investor readiness program, which was amazing. And then I'm also part of Impact Factory, which is based in Duisburg here in Germany. Um, they're focused on impact startups. So um, basically any startup that contributes to the 17 UN development goals. Um, yeah, and that is really so important to um, have that exchange with people, yeah. Mm, that's amazing, that is so inspiring. And I'm I'm gonna put the links in the show notes as well uh, because these are so, so cool. Having the privilege of growing up in Germany um, or I mean, anywhere, I guess in Western Europe, it's, it's never really that big of a risk that you take because you, I mean, you get support from the government. Um, I know that if this fails, I'm going to get another job, you know, even though it's scary at the same time, I, I know that I'm not really taking that big of a risk. Is there already plant-based biodegradable hair extension, maybe not targeted to, to black women, but is it already something that's on the market? Yes. So actually there are two brands that there are more, but um, so the, the biggest um, brand that offers this is Rebundle. They're located in the US and they're offering hair extensions made from banana stem fibers. Um, and then there's Ruka Hair in the UK which they offer plastic-free hair, but they're unfortunately not plant-based. So they're made from collagen, which is derived from um, cows. So it's it's mostly um, like slaughterhouse waste that's used mm -hmm. to produce collagen. And are these two targeting the Black community as well? Yes, or? they're both yeah. targeting the Black community. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Have you tried the other brands and like, what is your experience of, of plant-based extensions? I haven't actually braided the other brands onto my head, but I, I have the hair, of course. <laughs> um, and I think, I mean, both of those brands, what they're doing is amazing. And to be very honest, I think 
if it wasn't for a rebundle, I don't know if, if I would be where I am today, just because I don't know if I would have had the guts. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, in that, in that sense, I think it's, it, for me, it was better to be a second mover because I saw that what um, Sierra May is her name, what she's doing is, is working and it's taking off. Um, that being said, I, um, I am working with a completely different material than those other brands are with a completely, completely different technology. Um, because I, I mean, banana fiber is, I experimented with, with plant fibers as well, with banana, with pineapple, with, um, everything there is, <laughs> Um, and the problem is that it's, it's mostly handmade. So you really have to comb the hair by hand to make sure it gets that texture that's comparable to synthetic hair. Um, and that to me was not scalable in a sense. So I started looking for different alternatives. Um, and I can't say what I'm using <laughs> because we're in the middle of getting it patented. Um, but what I can say is that it's cellulose. Um, and yeah, we're actually the first ones in the world to work with this specific technology and material to make hair. Ooh, fiber. Ooh. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited about it. But um, yeah, we we do have a prototype but we also still have a lot to do for me to be comfortable with launching this product in the market. I mean, whenever I show it around, show it around to people, they're like, Oh my God, that looks amazing. Um, and it already looks great. It does look like hair. Um, but it also has to have the same functionality as synthetic hair, you know, or, or human hair for that matter. So it has to be, or I want it to be, I want it to be combable, combable, um, then of course it has to be washable, um, dyeable. You have to be able to heat style it, to straighten it, um, and all that. So, um, there's still, uh, a way to go, which I don't know how much longer it's going to take. My plan was actually to launch at the end of this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's very hard to say with these types of developments because I'm actually working with a research institute that's also based in Germany. And it could be that, you know, in two weeks we have a breakthrough and <laughs> we finally solve the problem or the puzzle. Um, but it could also be that it's going to take another six months. The world will be waiting. <laughs> this is, this is so exciting. <laughs> What would you say have been your biggest obstacles so far? My biggest obstacles? I mean, for me, it was very challenging to do this on the side because it's only been like five weeks that I'm not with Oatly anymore. So I've been doing this on the side for two and a half years. Uh, um, that was tough. Um, I mean, it was great. I loved it. <laughs> but um, obviously you don't progress as I would have wanted to because um, you just don't have the time. And then... How did you stay motivated? Wow, that's a good question. I think ever since that little break of two weeks, my motivation never went away <laughs> ever since then it was so clear to me that I have to do this and I I haven't doubted this for a second um, I mean obviously there are days when yeah I'm I'm down and I feel low and I feel exhausted but I've never doubted that this is what I want to do and what I have to do um, so yeah for some reason and I mean also how did I stay motivated also I think through all those little successes and all the all the people who helped me along the way so I mean my background is in marketing and branding so I have 
I mean, I just don't have the knowledge when it comes to chemistry. Um, so, you know, there was this amazing professor at um, one university here in Berlin that I contacted and he was he was super into the project. He was like, this is amazing. Yeah, come by. We're going to have spent two days in the lab just experimenting with fibers. <laughs> and I think it was those little things that happened along the way that just kept me going. Um, and especially also, you already mentioned that um, getting um, several grants. So I got a very big grant actually a few months ago, which was amazing. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. And, and that really also gave me the courage to quit my job at Oatly and start this project full time. So um, yeah, it's <laughs> I made it sound like magic. Like, I don't know, I just stay motivated, but that's not actually true. So it's, it's you know, it's all the people that helped me. It's also definitely my husband. <laughs> who is incredible. Um, so I, yeah, I would not be able to, to do this without him, even though he's not, you know, practically involved, like he's not part of the company in that sense. But I mean, he's actually my, my co-founder, I would say, <laughs> like in terms of mental support. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, I would not be able to do this if it weren't for him. A support system is, is yes. always, yeah you know the the unsung hero of any success yeah. i guess yeah yeah everything you do you do it for the first time and then also obviously you have limited financial resources. So I'm trying to do pretty much everything myself. I'm working on the website myself. I'm going to do social media myself. I have to raise money to be able to fund the research. Um, so yeah, little obstacles definitely every day. But then I think the biggest obstacle is developing the product to be honest because i mean as i said what we're doing is hasn't been done before <laughs> so um developing this fiber is yeah it's, it's just very challenging especially because i don't have that background in chemistry and i have to rely on the research institute um and yeah i i try to interview as many experts as possible who can who can give more input, but that's, it's very challenging for me because I just so want to start. I so want to launch um, and, you know, not having any control over that process and not knowing when the product is ready. Um, that's very hard at the moment, especially. Um, mm -hmm. I'm at the very beginning, but I definitely think I mean, my main job right now is to get people excited about it, to build a community around it, to make sure, you know, more and more people actually know about the problems with mm -hmm. conventional synthetic hair. So I'm, I read this really great book, which is called Traction. And they're saying that, you know, most founders just develop the product and are so nitty gritty on the product and want to get it perfect that while they're doing that, they're forgetting about the whole um, getting people involved part. <laughs> and they're saying that you should actually, you know, split your time 50-50. So 50% should be the product, but then also 50% should be spent on building a community. And I think that is so true. I mean, you know, I think it's it's actually amazing that I I have so much time left until I launch the product so I can get people excited about it now. Um, and also get feedback and be able to iterate and optimize the product. So as soon as it's um, where, you know, people can try it, at, <laughs> um, I, I, I'm definitely going to have testers. I've already have so many uh, people who approached me and were like, oh, I'm my God, sure. I really want to test it. Please, please, please let me know when it's ready. So that's amazing to get that feedback. It almost makes me feel like growing my hair again so I can try it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> if you if you do, <laughs> I'm going to send you loads. Of loads of 
Um, no, so I think right now my job yeah. is to really focus on getting people excited, getting people involved, and then also, you know, building this together with the community and not just building this in my head, but actually having people try it, tell me what they think, and not just, um, you know, my friends and, and family and whatever, but also um, hairstylists is super, super important for me to, mm -hmm. to get their feedback and, you know, find out, like, can they braid with it? Is it really functional yeah. that way that it's easy on your hands and um so all these things the reactions have been nothing but overwhelmingly positive <laughs> which um yeah really really helped me um staying motivated and keep going um and i think i mean what was really beautiful beautiful for me to see is that um the reactions of my target group have been very positive but also people who have never heard of synthetic hair before. Like, I mean, you know, that that uh, grant that I got, that was actually in Thüringen, which is um, the, yeah, very far east <laughs> in Germany. Um, and I was pitching, I mean, yeah, of course, mostly to white men who have, I don't know, probably never, never even knew that black women wear synthetic hair. <laughs> And still, um, I I mean, the reactions were so positive and uh, lots of people wanted to support me. And um, yeah, that's really, really great to see um, that when you tackle a problem, that's, yeah, just, I mean, even though this is probably a, a niche product, at least looking at the, the market size in Europe, um, that when you tackle a problem that is bigger in that sense so that it contributes to a more sustainable world a more healthy world sustainable cons consumption etc that um, a lot of people want to get on board it's actually quite interesting to think of sustainability as a dei tool yeah, almost true. that bridges yeah. like white men in tuning and they see the point because of the sustainability aspect yeah and also educate them on the needs of the black community yeah which is kind of cool <laughs> true yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing and what are your ambitions for the brand but also in general do you have any dreams or visions of how things could be so my my broader vision for the brand or for the market in general is that I think there should not be any toxic products. There shouldn't be any products that are not recyclable, that are not circular. Um, and my vision is to really make plant-based sustainable um, products the norm. I don't think I can do that all by myself. So I'm happy that there are already, you know, women founders in that space that are bringing innovation to it. And I think in a broader perspective, I went to this conference this year, OMR. I don't know if you heard about it. It's a very big marketing conference. Um, but What's it called? OMR. It's Online Marketing Rockstars. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I went to this conference um, and there was Luisa Neubauer, which, yeah, she's an amazing activist, very involved with uh, Fridays for Future. And she said that we're talking so much about your footprint, you know, your environmental footprint, but she thinks it makes so much more sense to talk about your handprint. So what do you actually do <laughs> um, with your life? You know, not about avoiding emissions or avoiding this and that, but what can you actually actively contribute to make the world a little bit better? What is my wish? Um, I think it's it's that, that more and more people, um, the people who have the opportunities um, actually, yeah, come up with their own projects um, and act proactively and actively do something um, that contributes to um, this very big challenge of climate change and a more sustainable world. Great sister. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think my last question, uh, which maybe I should have asked at the beginning, but can you 
talk to me a little bit about the name Kind Hair. Yeah, <laughs> I love that you asked that. Um, I thought about the hair for uh, the name. I thought about the name for so long and I had different ideas, but I wanted it, you know, to be short and understandable and memorable. Um, and in the end, I ended up choosing kind because it's just so, yeah, I think kindness is universally relevant in the sense that, you know, being kind to yourself, caring for yourself, the hair is kind to your scalp, it's kind to your skin, but then it's also kind to our planet and our environment. And I wish I had a better story to tell about the why, the, you know, like the why is it a why and not an I. <laughs> but the reason I chose the why is actually that the lawyer um, that I did the trademark with told me that it's probably going to be a lot easier to have this trademark with a Y instead of an I. <laughs> um, and then I really liked the Y, so I just stuck with it. I think it's it's a perfect name for a perfect product. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so if anyone hears this who would like to follow us on Instagram, I very highly appreciate it. It's kind hair with a Y, so K-Y-N-D and then hair. Um, or also on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also, I'm, I'm always super interested to get in touch with anyone, you know, who is in the same space, uh, be it like hair extensions or even beauty um, geared towards black women. Or of course, if anyone's interested in supporting me, I'm not actively hiring, but I still think it's super super important just to you know um, get to know people and um, yeah so if anyone's interested um, in supporting or wants to know more uh, they can definitely contact me through my LinkedIn is actually the best way to contact me You heard her, people. Get in touch with Cosima Richardson on Instagram at kindhair, K-Y-N-D-H-A-I-R, or on LinkedIn. I believe she's going to go really far. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with your friend. Start a conversation. Start looking into what you put on your body, what you put on your hair, and where those products go once you're done with them. If you haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe to get a new inspiring episode of What We Do in your feed every other Tuesday. I'm Lucy Kamara. Come and find me on Instagram at LucyOutThere or on my website www.lucyoutthere.com and you can also find the podcast and everything that relates to it on Instagram at WhatWeDoPod. Thank you so much, guys. See you in two weeks. Bye.